It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. We were discouraged with all the negativity in the world and decided to focus on finding some good out there. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast with me, Teresa. And me, Amy. We're two ordinary moms looking for inspiration wherever we can find it. I can't believe we're already on episode 79. No. Crazy. Fun last weekend yeah. doing the solve. That was fun. I liked our best. Even though I did feel like work release. <laughs> I know. I did. I did laugh that we're trying to better the environment, but at the same time, they're doing the disposable yeah. vest. So, yeah, I saved mine. To wear for next time. I did too. I stuck mine in the console <laughs> van. I was telling my hygienist today that we did solve over the weekend. She's like, what is that? Like, oh, does good. everyone not know what's... I've had so many people ask yeah. what it is. So it's funny. I, I know if you're not from Oregon... You might not I know. I get it. But um, I did look it up. It started in 1969. Wow. Tomacall. Um, it stands amazing. for Stop Oregon Litter and Vandalism. Oh, good so, to know. That's I still awesome. think you won... With the most creative find. I did. A bathroom heater. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes. That was heavy. Um, Yes. Very fun weekend. Time and time again, we see beautiful things from ugly situations. We've covered so many stories just so in the last year with our podcast. And that's why I picked a lotus tattoo. Just like a flower blooms among swampy, gross water, beautiful things in life come about amidst ugliness and history doesn't get much uglier than world war ii but i found a beautiful story of a family legacy that is much stronger than hate april 30th 1942 philip lazowski his name was fievel but they changed to philip obviously a lot of times they changed their name so they didn't sound jewish Um, his family had just hidden as the nazis were entering the jewish ghetto of Zedel in poland they weren't hiding but before philip could secure a spot he was spotted by Nazi soldiers, and ordered to the Zetzel Market Square with the rest of the Jews. It had been planned that the family would hide in this particular spot, and then he would go hide somewhere else. Okay. So he was kind of finishing that when he was spotted. One of the SS officers stood just pointing fingers to the left where they sent people they might be able to use. They allowed you know nurses, doctors, and tailors to live and sent the elderly and young children to be executed, just shot on the spot. Young Philip noticed that the adults being waved to the left or the living side had a work certificate. Reading that in that um, Eddie Jakku. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. It's just awful. Can you imagine? We just, we don't even know those horrors. He asked people, you know, with the work certificates if he could be part of their family for the time and kept getting turned down except for one woman with two little girls who had a nursing certificate. She told Philip to hold on to her dress, and he was escorted to the side of the living. So this whole thing was a matter of 15 to 18 minutes, but it was permanently etched in his mind with, you know, obvious reasons. Philip had just celebrated his 11th birthday. His father was a fisherman. His mother owned a fabric store. And with the Nazis entering their town, they burned their house, forced the couple and their five children into the Jewish ghetto. He spotted Miriam Rabowitz and told his mother that she was the woman who had saved his life. His mother quickly ran out and thanked the woman. The final cleanse of the Jews came in August 1942. So they came in and and emptied out the ghetto, obviously, to 
take everyone away. Philip jumped from a second-story window and ran. He looked back once to see his mother, brother Aaron, and sister Rachel, and it would be the last time he would see them. His mother had encouraged Philip to tell the world. With the rise of anti-Semitic violence in the United States, Philip is honoring his mother's wishes and sharing with the world his experience. He just feels that that we need to learn, you know, remember the Holocaust. Yeah. Things are just too graphic to share with little ears around the stuff that he witnessed. But the father and his two sons spent two years in the forest but survived the war. Philip left for Brooklyn when he was 17. He moved over here and lived with some family. He breezed through high school and then went on to two universities at the same time. In 1953, he went to a classmate's wedding and was making small talk with this woman there. He told the woman that he was from Bileka. And the woman said her best friend's mother had saved a boy from there. Oh, no. Apparently, yes. Oh. The Rabinowitzes had settled into Hartford, Connecticut when he spoke to Miriam on the phone. So, it, you know, it yeah. all they, he put the pieces together. He was like, I'm that boy. When he spoke to Miriam on the phone, he'll never forget her response. I'm so happy to hear that you are alive. The young girls who had been with their mother that day were all grown up, and Philip was particularly fond of Ruth. They got married in 1955 and have three sons and seven grandchildren. Philip works as a rabbi and is partnered with a Catholic priest on mental health initiatives at Hartford Hospital and serves as the chaplain to the Connecticut State Senate. He's making time, you know, he's 91, Ruth's 86. He cared for his in-laws until their death. So just a good guy, and he's making the time to share his story since, as I said, he feels we need more education regarding the Holocaust. We need to remember it, make sure it doesn't happen again. He keeps his mother's spirit alive and reminds people the power of evil and that we must never allow it to rise again. He said, God was good to me, that I was saved, that I'm still alive. I tried my very best, and I think I fulfilled what my mother asked of me. There's a book Rebecca Frankel's writing uh, or wrote, Into the Forest, in 2021, which tells Philip's story. But I just loved that. So many horrible, horrible situations, but happy ending in the long run. So a few weeks back, I was at the library with my youngest, Ellie. I I came across the book, uh, Exactly As... You Are the Life and Faith of Mr. Rogers by Shay Tuttle. I texted you immediately because you have been talking. Maybe you wanted to do him for our podcast. Well, I just think he's a great, he's yeah, so good. And you were gracious and texted back something like, yes, of course. So because well, I want to learn about him, but yeah. So And the funny thing is we both had, we both had checked out the same <laughs> book. We both liked it, I guess. Which means it's a good book. It's a good book, yeah. He's a good guy. The title exactly as you are spoke to me. I mean, it's just so affirming. Mm-hmm. Growing up, I watched Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I found the show comforting. I know <laughs> I know you, we chatted. Just boring, boring, boring. But, but I, 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 I understand that. I mean, to me, I, I thought Mr. Rogers was talking to me, which sounds so corny. <laughs> but so... I think you're not alone. I think a lot of people felt that way. Yeah. And that's what made him so endearing. So endearing. Yeah, for sure. After reading this book, I learned more about this amazing man whose kind nature and calming demeanor goes way deeper. And he's truly a spiritual man. It's really you had no idea. I, I know. <laughs> his loving approach to life really began at home from his parents. Fred McFeely Rogers was born to Nancy McFeely Rogers and James 
Hillis Rogers in 1928 in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. His mom came from money, which helped them create a very comfortable and bright future for Fred and later their adoptive daughter, Lainey. Uh, with the help of Nancy's wealth, they bought Latrobe Dye Casting Company and eventually owned other factories in the Latrobe area. Fred's parents doted on him. I mean, they, and they demonstrated a life of faith and service. Fred's father, Jim, ministered to his workers and their families, as well as the town in a real broader sense. He was the kind of guy who'd show up to one of his factories, take off his coat, roll his sleeves up, and get dirty. I love that. I know love that. And he knew his employees by name at one time having like 500 employees. Wow. So that's pretty, pretty cool. Similarly, Fred's mother, Nancy, uh, carried a gift list of over 100 names. She would knit a sweater each month for someone on her <laughs> list and later, including her son's famous cardigan. She knitted oh, that. Oh, wow. Uh, the, 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 the different ones. Okay, he, had, it, he had blue okay. and raspberry. She knitted all she, of those? I don't know if she knitted all of oh, them, okay, but, but she definitely started. Did. She started it. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. She volunteered uh, regularly um, at the hospital holding babies and providing meals for those in hmm. need. As well, she was known at the uh, local elementary. The nurse would reach out to her when there were families in need. And Nancy would provide, like, shoes or eyeglasses, furniture, sometimes even paying bills. And as a family. So solid family. So for solid. Sure. Yeah. And as a family, they attended a Latrobe Presbyterian Church every Sunday. His parents were on the board of the church. And Fred's dad, I love this, was of the belief that churches should be a little in the red. Mm. That they should be in the business of helping those in need, not saving it for a rainy day. I love that. I do too. I just, it, it really speaks to their family. Later, his parents formed the McFeely Rogers Foundation in 1953. It's still in existence today. His parents were clearly awesome examples of people living a life of faith and service. Fred was a sickly child and missed school quite a bit. It's during that time he'd use his imagination and create characters to entertain himself. What was he sick with? Well, he had allergies. Oh, okay. I guess ragweed was really bad Mm. in his area. Mm -hmm. He He spent like one summer in particular cooped up. With the AC because he was, yeah, and he he was also overweight and often bullied by classmates. I cannot picture him being overweight. Yeah, he was overweight and they would call him Fat Freddy. Oh, that's terrible. And so he was a gifted at music and he could play by ear in a quick study. So he would often use music as a way to kind of cope with his emotions. He'd stomp on the piano keys as a way to express his anger. At home, he felt secure and loved. His parents often talked to him about looking for the helpers and said, you can always find someone helping, which I think it's a good way to look at life. Absolutely. And that's one thing I remembered about Mr. Rogers, even though I wasn't watcher of the show, but that his mother had said that to him about him having, there's so much horror stuff going on in the world, but she's like, look for the people helping. Yeah. Which is, I don't know, it's a good, a pers- good way to look it's at it. It's a good it. perspective yeah. for sure. Beyond the love of his parents, his grandparents played a role in shaping his kind spirit. Grandfather McFeely, whose namesake would be given to one of his characters, the delivery man in the oh. neighborhood. Yeah, He told Fred one day after spending time with him that you've made this day special for me. This had a huge impact on Fred. And later when he was older, climbing a stone wall, his parents urged him to come down. And again... Grandpa McFeely said, let him be. He needs to learn how to do things for himself. Mm. And Fred remembers how that permission to take a risk was a special kind of gift. 
By high school, Fred had slimmed out, and he was still awkward and shy. Classmate Jim Stumbaugh, a football and basketball player, a kind of a real popular guy, had been hospitalized for an injury. And Fred brought him his homework and would sit with him every day after school. Aww. I know. Over over the course of this of Jim's hospital stay, they became friends and turned out to be really lifelong friends. And re- Fred reflected back on that experience um, that it was transformative. It was if Jim said, "I like you just the way you are," mm. which would later be a core affirmation of Mister Rogers' neighborhood. And he created songs around these words. I um, wonder if that would have been the case had the hospital experience not happened. Maybe not. You know, I'm just you know I think wondering. it's all these things of some um, someone really just being saying something really positive that and affirmative stuck with him. Really stuck with him. I mean, I think he also has an emotional intelligence, as we like mm. to use that phrase mm-hmm. today. He just was really cued into that. And about beyond his, his time. After high school, Fred attended Dartmouth for a bit and then transferred to Rollins College where he met his future wife, Joan Bird, and also pers- pursued a music degree. And he was kind of thinking about seminary. On a visit home in the spring of 1951, he was introduced to the television. <laughs> and his parents had just bought a brand new TV. I think they were there. I remember an episode of Lucy where they were like, TV will never last. <laughs> yeah. But Fred watched a television show and was appalled. He thought the show was destructive and distasteful. He changed his mind and said no to seminary and pursued a career in television. I'm so curious what the show was. I don't know. I think they were throwing pies at each other. Oh. And so uh, Fred's father had a connection to NBC and got him a position where he worked as an assistant to the producer of Opera Theater. He really got the sense of how higher-ups were treated. So I think that also was another place where he saw how people were treated. And he was treated sometimes not so nicely. And I think that stuck with him and how mm-hmm. he was going to be going forward as an adult. He was also assigned to work on a couple other shows. One in particular, the Gabby Hayes show, which is kind of a Western-style show, where he worked as a floor manager. And one day he asked the host, Mr. Hayes, what do you think of when you look at, look at the camera and you know there are thousands of people watching? Mr. Hayes replied, Freddie, I think of one little buckaroo. Mm. <laughs> and that statement stuck with Fred. And helped, we need to use that sometimes. I know. We're nervous. And helped him realize really the power and responsibility of the camera. During this time, he, he still made time for church. He would stop at St. Patrick's Cathedral on his way to work. And he would go to daycare centers and orphanage and hospitals and visit children on his off time. Um, So he was kind of beginning to sense the direction of his future vocation. In 1953, Fred went to work at WQED, the Pittsburgh educational TV station. His NBC colleagues were giving him a hard time, you know, leaving this corporate world. Mm. But, you know, Fred said no to climb the corporate ladder, And yes to children's television programming. He began working with Josie Carey on the Children's Corner. Josie was the host, and Fred's job was to produce, play the organ, and later became the puppeteer. (laughs) And that's where the famous blue sneakers became a part of his daily wardrobe. He needed to run behind scenes from puppets to playing the organ. Uh, And this is also where he kind of created all his characters, like King Friday... Uh, Lady Elaine Fairchild, uh, Daniel Striped Tiger, and other <laughs> others that would appear on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. The organ. Do people still play the organ? I don't know. I I, I mean, my old church used to mm-hmm. play the organ um, sometimes. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about that. But, yeah. Um, 
So at the Children's Corner at uh, that time there, he married, rather, jo- Joanne, and they had two boys. He also enrolled at Western Theological Seminary. He took one course at a time, and it took him eight years to complete his divinity <laughs> degree. While at seminary, he met Professor William Orr, who would have a huge impact on him. And this is where Fred really formed the model of theological neighborliness kind of building on the foundation from his youth and his parents' example of loving your neighbor. Mm -hmm. Fred's work on the television corner allowed him to be imaginative, and he loved whimsy. Like, he was super creative. And, um, however, he took children's programming super seriously. And although, like, Josie and Fred had a good chemistry and a good working relationship, one time towards the end of, he was on this, did the show for seven years, one time at the end, Josie ad-libbed uh, in which using uh, one of the puppets, a monkey losing her, the mom losing her baby, and the baby monkey was put in a glove box and headed to Cleveland. And Josie thought it was a, really a funny joke. However, Fred was upset. He, you know, though he never showed it, he felt it was the worst thing to make a child afraid of losing their mother. So shortly after that episode with the lost monkey, he he got a call from Canadian Broadcasting Corporation offering him to produce a program in Toronto. He leaped at the opportunity. It was a big change, though, for Fred. Instead of being behind the scenes, mm-hmm. you know, he'd be in front of the camera as a host. And I think at first he wasn't too keen on it because he was kind of shy. Mm-hmm. Sounds like it. Yeah. This led to the early beginnings of the neighborhood. So he's kind of seeing that vision. Around this time, Fred's youngest son, Johnny, who was two at the time, was diagnosed with a hernia. The surgery was routine even back then. However, the experience in the hospital left Fred and his wife distraught. Upon checking in, the nurse took their son away in a cage-like crib. I mean, I can kind of vision those yeah. from the time period, but I, apparently their son you know, screamed down the hall, and it mm. took them 45 minutes, the nurses, to calm him down. Times have really changed. They have. I think they're a more prep, yeah. but... Afterwards, their easygoing son was anxious and really needed mm. some psychotherapy. I don't blame him. Yeah. And so, as a result, later, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood would produce episodes about issues of separation mm-hmm. to prevent trauma and alleviating anxiety, as well as, you know, dealing with common childhood experiences like hospital stays, sleepovers, daycare, divorce, and death. So ahead of his time. I know. I mean, really. They only stayed in Toronto two years. They really wanted to be back closer to family. So they moved back to Pittsburgh and Fred was really getting that vision of what he saw the neighborhood was, you know, what he envisioned it. Uh, Funding, though, was tough. And he began working with local businesses to raise support to produce the first few episodes. He even considered the Presbyterian Church to fund his program. He sincerely thought it would be a great ministry, but it never happened. Eventually, it would be picked up by PBS uh, across the country by 1968. Interestingly, the first week of national programming, the program addressed changes, changes in the lives of children and families, both small and larger ones, even addressing the current national changes in this five-day plot. He really considered how changes affect people and the responses. At the time, the Vietnam War was just waning on. Mm -hmm. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, through a story in the make-believe narrative, addressed war And the ending of that episode was with balloons, tag, messages, peaceful coexistence, love, tenderness, and peace. And Mr. Rogers said at the end of that episode, isn't peace wonderful? He even finished the first week with a prayer. And he prefaced that not everybody sings this psalm, but we do. 
He never wanted a child to feel excluded. I that I so admire that. I know. I mean, to be even be thoughtful about mm-hmm. that. I think even giving the time. Exactly. You know? And I love this comparison the author Shay Tuttle draws between Mister Rogers' neighborhood and liturgy. Shay talks about how we all we're all creatures of liturgy. We really respond to routine. We may even crave it. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. word mm-hmm. liturgy <laughs> comes from. Yeah, I mean, we all are right. We definitely crave routine. Uh, and the word liturgy comes from the Greek meaning, um, the work of people. Similarly to church service, the standing to sing, or reciting the creeds, and communion, these rituals, as Mr. Rogers would say, help us grow on the inside. So it makes sense he designed his program in his own neighborhood. The format never changed. The aerial shot of the house, the opening door, the psalm, his blazer off, cardigan on, sweater zip, blue sneakers laced up, and the greeting, hello, neighbor. I mean, he he even told his television neighbors about where he was going, what they'd be doing before it even happened, even down to feeding the fish. <laughs> Fred apparently got a letter from a blind girl worried that sometimes she worried that did he feed the fish or not. So from that oh point my gosh, on, that's so sweet. I know, I know. So that point on, he mentions that he's going to feed the fish, and that's just a glimpse at Fred Rogers' heart for people. To include her, to, to pull her into her. his Just, show. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, everybody I mattered. In addition to completing seminary, he also took child development training, which also taught him children's uh, reliance on routine, which we know as moms, you know, they <laughs> like routine. And this is evident in a letter he wrote at the beginning of the Gulf War to PBS stations across the country. As the adult world with its Persian Gulf situation continues to provide uncertainty and distress, we in public television can help your children by providing their regular, predictable preschool programming. I just love that. So sweet. Fred was ahead of his time on issues of difference and diversity. He had an African-American teacher bring a class of interracial students to sit around his kitchen table and sing songs. And once again, you have to remember this time. Yeah, it's like the 19, you know, late 1960s. He was making a radical statement for the time that in his neighborhood, all people are not the same. And that was, that was fine. That's a bonus. I know. One famous moment was in spring of 1969, Fred filled up a baby pool in his neighborhood backyard (laughs) house and invited on the show Officer Clemens. He was a regular on the show, an African-American to cool off and soak his feet. The camera zooms in to show Officer Clemens' brown feet and Mr. Rogers' pale feet. And then Mr. Rogers' comments, sometimes just a minute like this will really make a difference. And, you know, and this image is so meaningful. I mean, especially given that at the time in the country, there were still many places they were trying to integrate. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was a really strong Huge message. Huge statement for him to be and, making. In a very, very calm, peaceful yes. manner. Simple. Simple. Very simple. Yeah, he wasn't, I don't know. I just, I admire the man. But Mr. Rogers also celebrated other kinds of differences. One example, he had a 10-year-old quadriplegic boy, Jeff, uh, visited. And Mr. Rogers sang a song, It's You I Like. Mr. Rogers said, I bet sometimes you feel blue. Jeff acknowledged he does. And they talked a little bit about that. He wanted viewers to feel included. Fred cared about the differences and wasn't shy about addressing them. And with the quadriplegic boy, you have to remember that, once again, was at a time where you just didn't talk about that. Right. You didn't want to see that. You didn't, you didn't want see to, it. Yeah, it was, you didn't see that. No. You didn't see Mm-mm. kids on TV. No. So I or, so yeah. admire him for bringing that into the forefront. 
and asking him about his feelings. How do you feel? Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, he also talked about feelings, you know, sadness or mm-hmm. anger. He felt strongly that children needed to explore appropriate expressions of their feelings. He made many songs that addressed feelings. He often consulted with Margaret McFarland, um, who he met in seminary. She was one of the founders and director of the Arsenal Families Children's Center, which studied child development. Margaret believed attitudes aren't taught, they're caught, which I love that. Mm -hmm. Fred observed in one of her classes one day, she invited a sculptor to a preschool class. And Margaret didn't want the sculptor to teach sculpting. She asked him to just love clay in front of children. Mm. So Fred took this to heart, and he often had artists and creators on the show, whether it was someone playing the cello or making pretzels. He wanted to show examples of people passionate about their craft, whether that was art or music. I love that. Yeah. I mean, we learn by seeing that that joy. Yes, exactly. Uh, uh, There's so much to Fred Rogers, and I'm only scratching the surface on his impact on he had on children, really all of us. And his extended neighborhood. He was truly a man of faith. He lived it out every day. He prayed every day. And his ministry was broader than Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. He ministered in hospitals and prisons. I had no idea. Yeah. He he established a a child-friendly visiting area and a men's prison. Hmm. And he truly believed in the Holy Spirit and that each of us can be used. And he said in, this is so him, in a perfectly wonderful ways. He often felt the nudge to act, and of course, he did just that. There, this book had countless stories about him just showing up on someone's doorstep in time of need and praying and just being there. One time, Lisa Hamilton, who worked on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, found out her husband had cancer. Fred visited and prayed with him on a, often during his time of when he was getting treatments. And it's funny, she said he was, he was really uncomfortable praying, like he'd bite his lip. Mm. And seemed really awkward. Just nervous? Just nervous. And then sadly, her husband died one night. And guess who was at the door the next morning? Yes, it was Fred Rogers. Oh, my God! I guess he'd been praying that morning. He felt Lisa needed help. So Fred was the one who phoned the funeral home. I'm just so amazed at his faithfulness that allowed him to hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit, you know, that mm-hmm. we often don't hear. And just the sweetness and that sweetness, he had yeah. for everyone. And follow through. Mm-hmm. You know, although even he, if he was nervous, even if he was shy, there's a scared. whole thing about that in there about how he was um, awkward and mm-hmm. how. But he was that they talk about in the Bible that foolishness of showing up even in our most mm-hmm. awkward states, and which we can totally relate. I to can too. I'm a total claim in the dorkiness. So I really that just I don't know it really yeah, touched my I heart. But you know, although he acted in faith countless times, what I love most, he was quiet about it. And his service. Like, that wasn't something he often talked about. Fred believed that heaven is a neighborhood and that in heaven we meet, we are met with love and grace. And I think his show offered us the same love and grace. After the show ended in 2001, about a year and a half later, Fred and Joanne uh, learned that Fred had stomach cancer. He was so sweet to his wife. He's like, I'm so sorry to put you through this. Mm. He died February 27, 2003. Joanne said she could feel he went with peace and joy. I just, I don't know. I just so enjoyed learning about Fred Rogers. I love his desire to show us that we're good, lovable, capable of love. He really changed children's uh, television for the better. And he was so forward thinking to show and explore emotions in a healthy Mm -hmm. way. 
Fred Rogers, you know, celebrated the differences in all of us and somehow invited us all to be his neighbor. Which we need to do still today. I know. I love totally. that. Awesome. When we love a person, we accept him or her exactly as is. The lovely with the unlovely, the strong with the fearful, the true mixed in with the facade. And of course, the only way we can do it is by accepting ourselves that way. Fred Rogers. I found two sweet stories that really reminded me of neighborly love and the spirit of Mr. Rogers. Some local residents in Brooklyn, New York, who during the pandemic noticed an uptick in food insecurity among their neighbors and decided um, to do something about it. And boy, did they. Adrian Thorne, a local reverend at the First Presbyterian Church, posted on Nextdoor for volunteers to create a community fridge. Mm. And amazingly, a group of mostly strangers came together. One was this local um, Brooklyn architect, James Coster, volunteered to design a shed to house the community fridge. He really wanted the shed to look old, kind of like a land, like the landmark Brooklyn Heights um, neighborhood. It looks really cool in the picture, and it just fits in with all the surrounding brownstones. Children in the neighborhood created signs and brought them to local merchants to announce the, the, the fridge. Mm-hmm. And those same children later volunteered to be cleaners for the fridge, which I thought was Aww. so sweet. Muralist Denton Burroughs and Jonathan Neville uh, painted the fridge's door with kind of a real fun current look. I love the fridge's motto, take what you need, leave what you don't. In uh, just this past October, they had a plug-in event to launch the community fridge. Fresh fruits, vegetables were shared, music, children made signs, and created tons of community spirit. It's just so cool. It was built by neighbors for neighbors. I just love that. Um, the fridge. I think we have something in Beaverton. I okay. just started following them on Instagram. I'll have to dig into it. But okay, um, it is like a community, not kitchen, but... Right. Where you can go drop off stuff, but if you need stuff too, it reminds me of the book things. Okay. The little um, right. libraries. This is kind of like that too. I yeah. mean, so there's Very a real cool. refrigerator cool. in there, but in the shed thing. Yes, I love that. So it's open 24-7 to donate or select food. Now they've got like local scout troops and church groups that have signed up to stock the fridge. I just love the story of Neighbors Helping Neighbors. You can follow them on Instagram at Brooklyn Heights Community Fridge. The other story of neighborly love, and it's also next door too, I found was about a young career-bound man, Jamal Al-Safi, worked at Starbucks as a barista while going to school for IT support. He knew the importance of looking sharp, but after landing his job, after graduation, he needed to dress for success. And he went through his closet and tried to put together what he could. He realized he needed a new belt and shoes, but he couldn't afford to buy new ones. So he posted on Nextdoor asking if anyone needed help cleaning out their garage, running errands, basically anything for exchange of belt and shoes. His neighbors came through the next day. His inbox was me full. Terry. Oh I mean, gosh. they offered accessories to suit, store credit they had, mm-hmm. gift cards. Um, best of all, Jamal said he started his new his new career not only looking sharp but also with a surge of confidence and just feeling loved. Love, feeling but I just I love that people just feeling the call of action yeah. and doing something took care of him. and took yeah. care of them. I just felt inspired by both of these stories of neighbors showing up, helping each other. I'm sure Mr. Rogers is smiling. I know that's <laughs> yes. cheesy, but I'm sure good he is. finds. Good finds. 
What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. Hal David and Burt Bacharach. Thanks for listening to Tangential Inspiration. We really want to hear from you. Email us your comments or story suggestions at tangentialinspiration at gmail.com or leave a comment on our website, tangentialinspiration.com. Our website has all our podcast episodes, show notes, stories, follow-ups, and links to websites and books we talk about. Like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, and you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great week.